apart from you. So, Father, we just pray that you would anoint Pastor Larry as he brings your words today. Lord, that they would pierce our hearts and help us to listen for you, to listen for your voice, Lord. Let's just block everything else out this morning. Thank you for your presence. If faith can move the mountains, then let the mountains move. We come with expectation, waiting here for you.
chambers, Lord, into your presence, singing Abba, Father, praise you, Lord. How lovely is your
My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life and your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. Thank you, Lord. Better is one.
how you come there's no magic formula to make you do certain things but we do acknowledge this Father without your spirit here today we've wasted our time we may have had fun we may have sang some nice songs but without your Holy Spirit here Nothing of significance will happen. Nothing of eternal value will happen. Nothing that will last for eternity will happen. We can even give to you, as we will in a few moments, and that will be of no value if we are not led by your Spirit, if your Spirit does not motivate us. We will never serve you. We will never operate in your gifts. Nothing will happen without the Spirit of the living God coming and hovering over us and filling us and using us. So our prayer is today, come, 
Holy Spirit, we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. open our hearts and minds by your spirit to hear your word. We don't want to just hear what your word says. We actually want to put it into practice. Uh, because Jesus said that if we hear his words and we don't put them into practice, then we're like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the storms came, the house fell down. Uh, we want to be like the wise man who built his house on the rock who hears the word of the Lord and puts it into practice. Help us to do that in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 1937, there was a gentleman in Germany. Hitler's regime had already begun its... Begun, the wheels had begun to... Uh, to turn. And then there was, a, there was a Christian gentleman there in Germany, and his name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book, and it was published in 1937. Um, I can't pronounce the name. It had a one-word name in German uh, that was meant discipleship. That was the title of the book. You can still get that book, and I have a copy of it. It's called The Cost of Discipleship. It's a, great, it's a great book to read. In that book, he says these words. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. The word repentance means what? Turn around and go the other direction. You're headed in one direction, and that's the wrong direction. You cannot 
Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness with while you keep walking in the direction that you have been going that you're asking forgiveness for. You get it? Cheap grace, that's cheap grace, without requiring repentance, that is to turn around and go the other way. It is the preaching of baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. That is what Bonhoeffer described as cheap grace. Costly grace, he says, costly grace confronts us as a gracious call to follow Jesus. It comes as a word of forgiveness to the broken spirit and the contrite heart. Grace is costly because it compels a man to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. It is grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Costly grace compels a man or woman to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow Him. Jesus said, if anyone will be my disciple, he must... Oh, you missed a word. Deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. And at the same moment, we have these words from Jesus, and Jesus says, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The difference between cheap grace and costly grace. We continue to talk in 1 Corinthians we're at the very end of chapter 9 because I want to bring our, the thought process back in. We, we don't ever just start somewhere. We, we want to get the context. Paul says, chapter 9, verse 24, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. There are numerous places in the Scripture where the Apostle Paul equates the journey in life, the relationship with God, the, the fellowship with Jesus, the being a disciple of Jesus, he equates that with a race. He says in Philippians, he says, I have kept the faith, I have finished the race. Okay? So he says here, he, he's a, he, and he is literally alluding to the games, the Grecian games, the Olympics, which we now, we now call the Olympics. He said, don't you know that in a race all the runners run? Well, that's true. All the runners run. That's what, that's what they're doing. He said, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. You don't run in a race. You don't enter a race. You don't enter a contest. You don't enter that sort of a competitive thing without... The concept of you winning. Who goes into a race saying, I'm going to lose? 
you're already defeated. Who, who does anything and says, I'm, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to be a loser? He says, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. Back then, they used to get a, 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 a laurel wreath that they would wear. How long would that last after it was cut from the plant? How long do the flowers last now when you cut them from the plant? It's a, it's a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. That's why we're in this race. That's why we're running in this race. That's why we deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus. Why? Because we're looking at the crown that is up ahead. The Bible says, keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. What was he doing? He was looking beyond what he was going through at that moment. We do this to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, he says, because we're going after a crown that lasts forever, he said, therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I'm not, I mean, can you imagine? Now we have, it's the Summer Olympics that are coming up, right? And they're going to be in, I guess, in Rio. Okay. Now, in the Summer Olympics, we we have sprints and we have, long races and and everything else have you ever seen someone running in a race now remember they've gone into the race with the idea that they're going to what win they're going to win they're they're not running to lose they're running to win have you ever seen a runner in a race there's a there's a big wide track sometimes it'll have seven or eight lanes in it Have you ever seen a runner zigzag when they're running the race? Aimlessly, just aimlessly running. I'll get there. No. They run in a direct line. They they run and then they try to get to the inside lane because on the inside lane it's shorter to go around the inside than it is to go around the outside. Because the goal is to win the prize. So Paul says, I'm not like a guy who's running aimlessly. He said, I don't fight like a man beating the air. I'm, just, I'm not just swinging my arms. He said, no, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. See, Paul is saying, I I can't just be the guy who's telling you how to do it. I also have to do it. Which brings me back to the whole thing that Jesus said to us, and I've said this before, and you'll hear me say it a lot in the future as I continue to stand up here. Jesus said, 
all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have said. Teaching them to obey everything that I have said. How do we... You see what Paul's saying? He said, it's not enough for me to teach you what Jesus said and then me be disqualified because I'm not doing it. He said, I, myself, he said, I, I don't, I don't want to be in that boat. I don't want to be in that situation where I'm telling other people how to do it and then I lose out on it because I'm not doing what I'm preaching. The only way that we can teach people how to live the things that Jesus taught is for us ourselves to live the life that Jesus taught and also tell others how, what Jesus taught. Now, I, I said all that to say this because now Paul, in my mind, Paul really, he, he, he sort of opens up a can of worms. And, and it's, this, is, this is not an easy thing for pe some people. It's not an easy thing for them to grasp a hold of what Paul is saying here uh, because they don't, they don't like how it, well, let's just look at it and, and you, can, you, know, you can just make up your own mind. But here's what he says. After he says all that, he says this. For I do, I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. Well, let's get a picture of this because here's what he's talking about. I want you to get a picture of Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. That's the picture here, okay? He said, I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud. How did God lead the Israelites out of Egypt? What happened? During the day, there was a cloud that went ahead of them. At night, when they were, if they had to travel at night, the Bible says there was a pillar of fire, okay? So they could see, obviously they couldn't see a cloud at night, but they could see a pillar of fire. So he says then, I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all, everyone, all of those people that came out of Egypt were all under the cloud. It doesn't mean they were under, uh, it was like there was an oppression there. They were all under the cloud. They followed the cloud. And they all passed through the sea, which, and he's talking about the Red Sea. Every single one of them, as they went out of Egypt, they all followed the cloud and they all went through the sea. There weren't some who went this direction and others went another direction. They all went the same way. Paul says, I want you to understand that that's the truth because he, there's a point here. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all became a part. They were all part of the Israelite nation that Moses led them, when he led them out of Egypt, they all ate the same spiritual food. That is the food that was provided for them supernaturally by God, manna. Okay? And they drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Okay? So they 
all drank the water, the same water they drank, all drank, ate the same food. They were all in the same situation. They were all together. They were a group. They came out, they experienced the same things. They experienced the cloud, they experienced the sea, they experienced the manna, they experienced the supernatural water. They all experienced the very same thing. Have I made that clear? <laughs> you got that? That's important. That's important because listen to what he says. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. And their bodies were scattered over the desert. What? They all came out the same way. They all followed the same guy. They all followed the same cloud. They went through the same sea. They ate the same food. They, ate the, they drank the same water. But God was not pleased with most of them. And their bodies were scattered over the desert. If you, and he says, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. In Exodus chapter 32, we can read the story about when Aaron created the calf made out of gold. The Bible says the people ate, sat down to eat and drink, and then they got up and they began to praise and worship this calf. They actually said... they. They actually said these words. This is the God that brought us out of Egypt. It is no wonder when God gave them the Ten Commandments, He said, I am the Lord God who brought you out of Egypt. Well, I'll tell you what, when we just read the Ten Commandments and we let that part out, we lose the impact of what God was trying to say in the Ten Commandments. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, therefore you shall have no other gods before me. See how that changes the whole meaning of things? You see, I want to go back here for just a second. What happened here? Here's what happened. You know the story. He doesn't, he doesn't talk about that part of the story in here. But here's the story. You know that he sent, they sent 12 spies into the land. And, and, and I don't have time to preach a sermon on this, but th this is a great example of, of how people have their, this co their concept of God, their own concept of God. And when they went out, they spied the land. They were gone for 40 days, and they came back, and, and they said, well, you just can't believe this land. And they even brought some of the, some of the fruit, fruit and the produce from, and they had to carry a bunch of grapes be 
on a pole between them that was so big. You just can't believe this land. But the problem is, the people, the people are huge. And they're powerful. Why, we felt like grasshoppers in their, in their eyes. We can't possibly go in there and take this land. And Joshua and Caleb said, we can take the land. God told us He would give us the land. We can take the land. We'll just trust God and He'll make it happen. And the other ten said, no, you can't, we can't. They'll slaughter us. It's, it's, it's a suicide mission. And God finally pronounced His sentence on them. And here's what He said. Anyone who's over 20 years of age, your bodies will be scattered over the desert. That's what He said. Your bodies will be scattered over the desert. You will, you will wander for 40 years. One year for every day you spied out the land and everyone who's 20 years of age or older, your bodies will drop in the desert as you wander until every last one of you is gone. And the only people that will be left are Joshua and Caleb because of their faithfulness. And everyone 20 years of age and under because you haven't reached, in, our, in my mind, the age of accountability. You had no say in this. Are, are you... Are you, are you getting the significance of this? They all came out together. They all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. They all followed the same cloud. They all went through the same sea. But there was something that went on. There was an attitude of unbelief. There was an attitude of distrust. There was an attitude, God, you can't really do what you're saying you're going to do. And those bodies dropped in the desert and only two people who had faith, and all those who had no say were, were the ones who came out on the other side and actually made it into the promised land. Well, Paul says, these things occurred as examples to us to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. We need to pay attention to this. We have to understand that God expects from us trust and belief and faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. He said, we need to look back on these things and understand that God, God's standard never changes. And then he gives us four examples, four really tough examples of things that happened to the children of Israel because they did not believe or they put him to the test or they blatantly sinned against him. And here's what he says. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revel. If you would like to read that story, you can read that in Exodus 32, verses 4 through 6. He says, We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. You can read that story in Numbers 25. Here's what happened is, the, the men of Israel began to have 
immoral relations with Moabite women. And the Moabite women began to try to get them to worship their gods. And God's anger and jealousy burned against them. And he began, he sent, he sent a plague to them and they, and they began to die. And while Moses and the others were standing at the opening to the tent of meeting, another Israelite guy actually walked in and walked past them with a Midianite woman and went into his tent with her. And Eleazar, the priest, he went, he took a spear and went into the tent, and the Bible says that he ran the spear through the guy and threw the woman right into the ground. But before, and, and the Bible says, and the Lord's anger subsided when he did that. But before he did that, 23,000 people died because of that sin. He says, you should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And you know the story about where the, the people began to murmur against God and he sent snakes among them and Moses finally cried out to God. You can read it in Numbers 21. He cried out to God and God said, I'm not going to take the snakes away, but what you can do is you can put a snake on a pole, a brass snake on a pole, and anybody gets bitten by the snakes, they can look at that, and if they look at that pole with a snake on it, they will live. And even today, that symbol is, well, it's, it's a... There, there are two different kinds. One's the caduceus, which is the, uh, the symbol that a lot of doctors wear. It's a medical thing. But, but there's an, another one that shows just the pole with a snake around it that, um, that is the true um, medical symbol. Um, but you can read about that story in Numbers chapter 21. And then Paul says, and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Numbers 16 this was Korah. Korah and a few others decided that, who's Moses? <laughs> who's Moses? We can all do what Moses does. And the, the, long, the short story here is that God called them all together. They stood in front of the tent of meeting. And the Bible says the earth opened up and swallowed all of Korah and all, and, and then fire came out and consumed 250 other men and God showed his power and that no one else can burn incense before him other than those that he says. You can read about it. You can read the whole story in all the whole chapter, chapter 16 of Numbers. Okay? These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. You understand? These things happen to them as an example. In other words, if you, I mean, can you imagine being in the, in the Israelite camp back then and Korah, and you're standing there and Korah and his, and, and his, 
and these men and their wives and their children and they're all standing there and they've murmured and they've said, you know, anybody can do this. Who's Moses? Who's Aaron? And all of a sudden, the earth splits open and everything, their wives, their children, all of their possessions go down into the grave and the dirt comes back over them and they are history. I'm thinking, in my mind, I'm just saying, I'm thinking in my mind, I'm not saying anything against Moses. Because he seems as though he's God's guy and he has God's ear and God is working through him. I don't think I'm saying anything. Why? Well, that was happened to them as examples. Because it showed that it showed what God's standard was, what God expected. But they were written down. Why? Why were they written down? I mean, why is it important that they're a part of history? Why is it important that we would know about it? No, oh, no, no, they're not examples. They're warnings. See? They were... They happened as examples to those who were there. They were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. You see, here's what, I, here's what I'm what Paul's trying to get across to us. And I'm just going to say this. I, I, I read this passage of Scripture and I read it out of, the, out of Eugene Peterson's The Message. And he, I don't know if you, how many of you have ever read The Message. But it's, 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 a real, it's even more paraphrased and, uh, and up to date than the Living Bible. I, it's it's kind of nice to read if you... You know, I, I certainly I couldn't study out of it, but but it's nice to read. And he he talks about this, and he uses the word. So we need to be careful about sloppy living. That's what the phrase he uses. We need to be careful about sloppy living. We we need to be careful that we're not just thinking, oh hey, <laughs> cheap grace. I can do this. I can get away with this. This is okay. I can be lax. I can be, you know what? It, and Paul's saying, you can't do that. These things were examples to them, but they're warnings to you and I. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. What happens right before you fall? Yet proud. <laughs> I got this. I got this. You kidding me? <laughs> me? I got this. I am okay. I am unshakable. I am so strong. I mean, look at me. I am so strong. 
This, I don't even know why God warned me about this. I, I've got this. Anybody ever been there? Pride goes before a fall. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Now, we're almost done. I got to get this verse in because all of this takes us to this next point. And if you, I know sometimes we quote this verse and, and it's a great verse and it's full of truth, but if you miss everything that's in front of it, it doesn't quite have the power that it has when you get all of the, the other verses in front of it. Here's what it says. So if, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. All of these things were given as examples to them, but warnings to us. And then he goes on and he says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Okay? You and I have never received a temptation that hasn't already been done to someone else. We can never say, I'm unique. Even the Bible says that Jesus was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. So, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So Paul's telling the Corinthian people here, please don't think that you can use or have an excuse for being sloppy in your living, if you will. Don't think that you can be careless in your living and just say, well, but I, but I was tempted in a way that I just, no one else that I know has ever been tempted like that. Or that temptation pushed me beyond my limits. There's no way anybody could have stood up against that temptation. He said there's a couple of things you have to understand about temptation. And, it, you, and understanding this is why you have to understand there's no reason for sloppy living. And that is, there have been others who have faced the same thing that you're facing. And God is faithful and He will never let you be tempted above what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Wow. Sounds to me like in the midst of temptation, God's looking out for us. 
So, Paul says, in so many words, let's not be sloppy about the way we live. Let's not, let's not look at temptation as, as something that, well, it doesn't matter whether we give in or not because it's probably couldn't stand up against it anyway. There is an attitude that you and I have to have, and that is this. We are running this race to win it. We are running this race to win it. We do not get up in the morning. We do not get up in the morning and go, gee, (laughs) I wonder how badly I'm going to sin today. This is a day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Father, I want to win this day today. I want to be one step closer to the prize. I I know I can't do it on my own. Come, Holy Spirit, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I know I can't do it on my own. I, but, but I know, Lord, that you will never let me be tempted above what I can bear. And not only that, but you will provide a way for me to get through the temptation. How amazing is that? Not only will we not be tempted above what we're able to bear, but He will provide us with a way to get through it. I have two questions and I'm done. The first question is, how many of you, how many of you have ever faced a temptation and given into it? How many of you have trouble raising your hands? How many of you have a rotator cuff injury or arthritis or bursitis in your shoulder? And you just simply couldn't get your hand up because there's a physical reason I couldn't lift my hand. Every one of us would probably need to raise both hands and wave them around. Okay. Now here's another question. And and, and I don't need to tell you, I don't need to explain to you what that felt like when you gave in to the temptation and there was this, there was a sense of of guilt. There was a sense of defeat. There There was a sense that I disappointed God. There was a sense of, oh man, after it was all over, man, I couldn't, I didn't have to do that. Now, how many of you have faced a temptation and you persevered under that temptation and with God's help, you were able to come out on the other side of it? Wow, a lot of you had your bursitis healed. Okay, you were much easier to lift your hand this time. How how good did that feel? 
How good did it feel to know that you had come through this trial or temptation or whatever it was that had been placed in your pathway and you had come through that? Not in your own strength. You, you, you would readily admit, I didn't do this on my own. God helped me. But, but the, the, the sense of intimacy with God that He brought you through it and gave you the strength to withstand and to hang on until it was passed. How good did that make you feel? Folks, that is what God has for us in every single temptation we face. And if we're just, if we're just going to be honest with each other, or maybe I just need to be honest with you, is that sometimes when the temptations are coming fast and furious, We just, I'm tired. I'm tired. It just won't hurt that bad for me to let this one take over. Now, I know I'm not the only person that's ever felt that way. But I know that the bursitis has kicked back in, so I will not ask you to raise your hand. God has designed this for us to be victorious all the time. That's what I'm trying to say to you. He has designed this. His grace that is willingly poured out upon us is there for us to be victorious all the time. He doesn't say, okay, on this one, I'm going to give you my grace. Eh, this one over here, nah, you're on your own. No, he doesn't do that. Why? Because he wants us to be victorious all the time, every time. What a mighty God we serve. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this incredible teaching in your word. Thank you that you are always looking out for us, that you are always protecting us and keeping us and strengthening us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, that no temptation will ever be more than we can bear. Father, I just pray right now for each and every one in this room. Help us to help that truth just burn its way into our spirit. And then this one as well. With the temptation, you will provide a way out. So as we're going through these temptations, Lord, we are not looking at how long we're going to be in it. But we're going to be looking for the way out that you're going to provide. So that we can come out on the other side stronger, more Christ-like, and in a closer fellowship with you than we've ever been before. Thank you, Lord. As we prepare to leave here this morning, Father, we just want to praise you and thank you for the ministries that you've brought to this church. And we want to give a special praise and thank you to you for the continued uh, work of the, the bridges at the Transitional Center.
Thank you, Lord, for seeing that through so that that ministry continue. Not only the ministry of the bridges, but that our ministry there can continue. And we look forward to being able to do that for the next 24 months or until you change how things are done. But we pray for that ministry, pray for Chaplain Burke, uh, pray for Ms. Dexter, for Ms. Mitchell. We just pray, Lord, for every one of the ladies there that none of them would leave that place without knowing Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Thank you for allowing us to be involved in that ministry. We pray for Love Serves and for the ministry there. And we ask you, Lord, that you will, uh, as the mission teams are leaving and going, and Lord, we just pray that there will be um, eternal things that will happen that will continue for eternity. Lives will be changed. And as we begin to go and prepare for the mission trip that we're going on, Lord, we just pray that you'll um, open up great doors, great opportunities, and that it'll be just a, that'll be a, a, such a blessing. For those who would like to go and maybe think that they can't go, Lord, I just pray that you'll provide for them to be able to go and enjoy this experience. We pray for the Evangelism Explosion ministry team, Lord, for Art Hallett. And Lord, I just thank you and praise you for that ministry and for the many souls that came to know you just over the last few weeks. You are at work, and we thank you for allowing us to join you in that work. We pray for, for Chris and Silk in Thailand, and Lord, we know that there is an incredible spiritual battle going on there. And so, Father, we join them in prayer. and They're going to be praying and fasting and have been praying and fasting, Lord. And so we join them in prayer. We just ask you, Lord, we stand in the gap. We bind up the enemy and his influence. Lord, that he will not be able to influence these believers. That he will not be able to bring them to the place where they begin to doubt what they have believed. We pray for their families. We pray for that entire family units will be saved so that they have that support. We pray for the monks, Lord, that, that believe so differently and persecute and, and cause division. And Lord, we just pray not that you would do away with them, but that they would come to know the truth of the resurrected Jesus. We pray for Todd and Shelley and for the work that they're doing and we, in the Middle East, and we just continue to lift them up to you. Protect them, Lord, and give them many opportunities to build relationships and share this message of the gospel. And finally, thank you for our daycare. And Lord, we pray for the summer camp that's coming up. We pray for Vacation Bible School that's coming up. Lord, we, just, uh, we thank you for all the opportunities that you give us here to minister the truth of your word, to help people to see the things that Jesus taught. And now I pray, Lord, that as we leave this place, that we will be 
shining examples of what it was like to have Jesus walk this earth as he lives his life through us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.